Amen. You guys can be seated this morning. It's good to be with you all again. If you want to turn with me in your copy of Scripture to Romans chapter 6, we'll be looking this morning at verses 1 through 4. If you want to turn and look there. So last week we began this mini-series on what we call the means of grace, which might be a new term or phrase for some of you, but really the concept is pretty straightforward, that God in his word has promised to meet with his people. <laughs> he's promised to be present with them. He's promised to save them and to change them. And he's promised to do that, especially through the word and these other means of grace that we're going to talk about. He's promised to come meet with his people to save them, to bring grace to their souls, grace that was won by Christ on the cross that he purchased for his people. And now by the power of the Spirit, he comes and he applies the work that Christ has done to his people. And so what we're saying as we talk about these things, we're saying this is how God saves us and changes us. That was kind of our shorthand definition for the means of grace. It's the things that God uses to save and change his people. And last week we, we talked about the word as the primary central means. That the word of God is the revelation of God to the people of God. That creation tells us many great things about God. That he's a creator, that he sustains all things, that he is infinite in his power but it's not able to save us. It can't bring us redemption. Creation can't. We need super creation, supernatural. We need the revelation of God in his word. So that's what we talked about last week. And what we're talking about this week is not separated from the word. It's not something different or other than the word as we talk about baptism. And we'll get into that a little bit more as we go. But today we're going to look at baptism, and we're going to look at it through a very specific lens, and we're going to look at it as a means of grace. What it is, what it does, why it's important, and what it shows us and tells us about God and what he's done. And in my opinion, baptism has sort of fallen on hard times, if we want to put it like that. It's sort of fallen on hard times. It's either been shifted to sort of a super, what I'll call a superficial understanding, where it's sort of just a merely a thing that we do. We don't know, really know why we do it, but we just do it. It's sort of superficial. Or on the other stream, extreme, it's, it's superstitious. It becomes this thing that has too much meaning or too much, it almost becomes mystical in how we see it. And so we want to stay away from those two sort of extremes. But regardless, baptism is sort of, it's degraded into a debate, a topic of debate. Who do we baptize? How do we baptize them? At what time? What does it mean? Who does it? All of these questions. And those are important questions. And it's important to think about those things and answer those questions. But it's really led us to miss what is baptism? Why is it important? And what does it do for the people of God? And we really have to look at all of the scriptures in order to see the rich, full picture that scripture paints of what baptism is, what it means, and why it's important. And all these ideas associated with baptism, washing, cleansing, renewal, new creation, salvation, forgiveness of sins, even judgment, are all things that scripture is pointing to, is aiming at, 
And we're going to look today and see how all of these things find their fulfillment in the work of Christ and, and are symbolized in what we call baptism. And so this morning, while we'll, while we'll be in Romans a little bit, we're really going to try to zoom out and look at what all of Scripture has to say, the whole counsel of God. And we'll see this morning, hopefully, that baptism is no empty symbol. It's no mere recommitment, but it is truly a word of God to his people about his covenant promises. And it truly is a means of grace, whereby the faith of his people is strengthened, it's assured, it's confirmed. The covenant promises of God are made visible to his people. And in Christ, we are shown to be a new creation. So if you want to follow along with me, I'll read verses 1 through 4 of Romans chapter 6. I'll pray for us, and then we'll look at God's word this morning. This is the word of the Lord. Paul says this in Romans 6. What then shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And then he gives this as a, as a reason for that. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you this morning. We come weak and needy. We come as, as, as creatures, not the creator. We come as your humble people this morning to worship you and you alone. And this morning, Lord, we, we need help. We are weak. Our bodies waste away. Sin eats away at our very souls. We are distracted. We're overcome by the trials and tribulations of this world. And this morning, Lord, we need the power of your spirit to work and move in us, to open the eyes of our hearts, to help us to see the glory of Christ this morning. And as we look to your word, we pray that you would open our eyes, that you would reveal the truths of your word this morning. And as we said this week, as we said last week rather, may our hope and our trust not rest on the wisdom or the words of men, but this morning may our hope rest in the power of God. We need your power this morning. There's no other hope. We pray and we ask that you would do these things by your spirit. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, we're, we're, the word Baptist is in our name, right? We're, we're Covenant Reformed Baptist Church. And it took us a whole year to, t to do a whole sermon on baptism. So I think that I should get a prize or something for that. Um, because it took a lot of restraint and... You know, that's sort of the stereotype all you Baptists ever talk about is baptism, okay? So then nobody can say that. So let the record show that, that it took a whole year. But, but everybody has a, something they think of when they think of baptism, right? Everybody has different words or thoughts or connotations. 
I know for me, I have, everybody has their own story behind baptism. Maybe you've never been baptized, or maybe you have many baptisms that you could remember. I, I was baptized as an infant in a Methodist church, and then baptized in a mega church in Chicago. I was 40 feet in the air. <laughs> and so there's just, everybody has different ideas when they think of baptism. But I don't know about for you, but for me, this concept was never explained it was more of a spontaneous baptism when I was baptized in that giant church. It was sort of, who wants to get baptized? Everybody goes to the front. And, and it wasn't really explained to me what baptism was or, or what it meant, why it was important, why it was something that Christians do and not non-Christians, why it was something that we need to do, that it's a command of Scripture, and more importantly, maybe, why it's important. Is it just something we do at the beginning of our Christian walk and then we totally forget about it? Or does it have more meaning than that? And so this morning, you can follow along with me on your outline if you want. We're going to look at these three things. We're going to try to answer the question, what is baptism? What is it? What does the New Testament have to say about this practice of baptism, this sign or ordinance of baptism? Next, we'll look at some of the themes that are coming to bear on this topic of baptism. We'll look at what really the Old Testament and New Testament have to say about these ideas of new creation and even judgment. And finally, we'll try to answer the question of how is baptism a means of grace? How does it strengthen and assure God's people? And so that's, that's our outline for this morning, if you want to follow along there. So first we have to answer this question, what is baptism? <laughs> the age-old question, what is it? What is baptism? Luckily, some people before us have written some helpful definitions. We read that this morning in our Confession of Faith. And some things to pull out of that definition that I think are important that we talk about. First, it's an ordinance, or some might even say a sacrament of the New Testament, of the New Covenant. That it's something that is in the New Testament. It's not in the Old Testament. They didn't baptize people as we do in the New Testament. It's an, it's an ordinance of the New Testament. Secondly, this was instituted by Christ. It's not a man-made thing. It's not something that a bunch of humans got together and said, Let's, I think we should start baptizing people. No, this was something that Christ himself instituted. He said, this is what you should do. And it is something that is to be done by water, as we talked about this morning, an immersion in water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is the mode of baptism. And the manner in which baptism is to be done is that it's to be done in repentance towards God and faith in Christ. And so we can begin to see how this idea of baptism is directly connected to what we talk about in the New Testament, what Paul is talking about here in Romans 6. It's a sign of the new covenant. It's what God has done through Christ in the new covenant. It was instituted by our Lord in Matthew 20, 18. He said, all authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Then we see in the book of Acts, in the next book in the scriptures, we see the apostles continue this practice. So it wasn't just something that Jesus and the apostles did. It was continued in the book of Acts. Peter says in Acts chapter 2, repent therefore. This is after Pentecost. The spirit has just fallen on the people of God. And he says, repent, turn from your sins 
and be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. You, and let me read it, I don't want to misquote it. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone to whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So we see the practice continued. And we see it linked to these promises of the New Testament. So it's not just an empty sign. It's not just something that Jesus thought was a good idea. It's linked to the promises of the New Covenant, namely forgiveness of sins, washing, cleansing, the gift of the Spirit, and union with Christ in all his benefits. And Peter will go on to say that there's, there's a condition, there's a, something that you need to do, there's a call that he gives before someone can be baptized, and that is to repent, to turn, to die to yourself, to turn from your sin. And what he's really saying is judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. He had just talked about how these people had crucified our Lord. And he says, turn, repent, and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Spirit. So for those who were dead in their sins, who were, were dead in their sins and trespasses, Peter is saying there's a way to be made alive, and it's by faith in Christ. And when you have faith, when you've repented, you're baptized, and you show that this new creation work has begun in you, that someone has taken the curse and judgment that you deserved, that Christ has done this on the cross. And so we have to sort of step back for a second, and we have to ask this very important question. Why baptism? Isn't the word just enough? You know, Kendall, we talked last week about the word. We talked about the word is the central means that God uses to save and change his people, right? We believe in the gospel. We believe in the preaching of the gospel. That's how God's people are saved and changed. Why do we need this physical sign or symbol of baptism in the Lord's Supper? It's because... This is how God has chosen to do this in his wisdom. And it's actually how God has worked throughout all of the scriptures. What do I mean? And this is, this is where we have to look at these two ideas of covenant and baptism. And we have to link them together because scripture links them together, right? Baptism is the sign of the new covenant promises of forgiveness of sins, washing the spirit of God. And this is linked to the covenant with God. And so in scripture, we see that God works through covenant. He brings blessing to God's people through covenant. And when he does this, he brings signs to show visibly the promises and blessings and even curses of this covenant. Maybe that is, is um, an ethereal statement. What, what are you talking about, Kendall? If we go all the way back to the second chapter of the Bible, Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. And God places two trees in the garden, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And maybe you've asked yourself, why? Why did he put trees in the garden? Why did he do that? Why didn't he just tell, you know, don't do this, don't do that? But he attaches trees. He, he places trees in the garden. And these are visible, tangible signs of the covenant in, for Adam and Eve. The tree of life is a promise, is a symbol of the, the blessings of the covenant. If Adam obeys God, if he follows in his ways, if he completes the work that he's supposed to do, he will earn life. He'll earn eternal life and glory. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil 
is a symbol of the curse of the covenant. Namely, in the day that you eat of this tree, you will surely die. And so we have, even as early as the second chapter of the Bible, we have these signs, these almost one theologian called it sacramental trees, if you want to think about it like that, that they are signs of the covenant, signs of blessing and signs of curse if you break the covenant. Blessing if you fulfill the commands, curse if you do not. Same thing is true in the Abrahamic covenant. Circumcision is given as a sign of the covenant. God promises to Abraham, I'll give you a land, I'll give you a people, and one from your seed is going to bless all the nations. Signs of the promise that one from the seed. Circumcision is a sign given to the male reproductive organ. It's showing that one's going to come from you that's going to bless the nations. But we see in Genesis 17 that there's also a promise of a curse if they do not fulfill the law, if they disobey God's covenant. It says they will literally be cut off. And circumcision shows this. So what are we saying? God uses signs, visible signs, to communicate and remind his people of the promises, blessings of being in covenant with him. And this is true in the new covenant. And so this is what baptism is. It's a sign of the new covenant. It's telling us things about the new covenant. Namely, new creation. That God has dunked us under the water and brought us up from life to death, from death to life. And this is what he's done. He's saved us by the power of his spirit. He saved us from judgment and brought new life to his people. This is a covenant that God has made with us. That when we put our faith in Christ and what he's done on the cross, we're saved. And baptism shows this reality in a visible mode, in a visible way. It reminds us of what God has done. And lest we think that baptism is just sort of this empty symbol, it's merely a random thing that God chose to do in the New Testament, right? I think we can think about it like that sometimes if we're honest, that, you know, the Old Testament, it had its thing, it had circumcision, these trees, but, you know, baptism is just sort of this random picture that God chose to use. But when we zoom out and we look at all of Scripture, we see that this is not the case. That all of Scripture has been leaning, it's been pointing to this work of Christ on the cross and this washing that he will do. And so the, the conception of baptism, this concept, is not new. It's something that's been anticipated, I would argue, from the second verse of the Bible. Maybe that strikes you as odd, and maybe you don't believe me, but hopefully we'll see that. And so these themes, as we move to the second point, we'll see these themes throughout the Scripture that baptism shows us, and that I believe are pointed to even in the Old Testament, namely the themes of new creation, and the themes of salvation through judgment. And we believe this because God is the author of Scripture. No mere man wrote this book. God himself wrote it. He is the author. The Spirit inspired the words of this book. And so when we read the Scriptures, we're not reading a, co a collection of random events that we just sort of put together however we think. No, it is one story of God's salvation to his people, the history of God's redemption culminating in the work of Christ. So first, 
Let's look at this idea of new creation. New creation. That throughout the scriptures, God shows us this picture of new creation. That God is going to work in his people to bring about new creation. And he's going to do that in a specific way. And one theologian put it like this, I liked it. It is new creation by water and the spirit. New creation by water and the spirit. If you want to turn with me in your copy of scripture to Genesis chapter 1, the second verse of the Bible, we see these words. God has just said that, you know, it says, and God created the heavens and the earth, and then this is the next verse. The second verse in Holy Scripture says this. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That's what we usually read on January 1st, right? As we're going through our Bible reading plan. It's the second verse. We don't think much of it. We're just trying to get to the end of our Bible reading plan, right? Can I get an amen? Okay. So we usually skip this verse and, and, you know, spirit, water, you know, what's it talking about? We see here in this picture of what creation was, this is non-creation, it's chaos, it's without form, it's void. This is before God comes and brings order to his creation. It's pictured as this earth being without form and void and dark, and it's over the deep, this sort of watery chaos. And yet we see the Spirit hovering over the face of these waters, and through this God brings about his creation. And the next verse is, and God said, let there be light. Through the darkness, through the chaos, through these waters of chaos, by the power of the Spirit, God creates. He brings a new creation by water and the Spirit. If we continue a little bit more in Genesis, we see this theme come back again. Sin has entered the world. Adam and Eve have fallen. They've eaten the tree. Sin has entered the world. They've been cursed, kicked out of the garden. And evil just continues to build and build. And it even says that God repented that he created man. And he says he's going to bring this flood of judgment. And maybe you've never thought about it this, like, like this before, but what God is doing is he's basically take it's a decreation. He's taking the earth back to what it was before. He's bringing flood waters to cover the face of the world in this sort of watery chaos judgment. <laughs> that because of sin, there must be a consequence. And yet, God does not completely destroy his people. He saves Noah and his family through the ark. In this act of new creation, the waters subside, and it actually says that a wind blows over the waters, and that's how the earth is dried. And this word in the Old Testament in Hebrew both wind and spirit are the same word in the Hebrew language, ruach. Both wind and spirit. So we see here again, new creation through the flood by water and the spirit. The same thing is true in the book of Exodus. God brings the people of Israel through the Red Sea, through the waters, and they're led by the glory cloud spirit. And they're created a new people of Israel. And so again, we have new creation by water and the Spirit. And you might be saying to yourself, Kindle, he's lost it. He's off the deep end. What are you talking about? 
before you say that, the New Testament says that these events of the flood and the exodus are types of baptism. If you go to 1 Peter 3, verse 20 through 21, it says, In the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water, baptism, which prefigures this, now saves you. Peter saying that the flood judgment was a type of baptism. The same thing Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 about the passing through the Red Sea. It says, our fathers were under the cloud. They all passed through the waters and were baptized into Moses. So the New Testament looks back on these events and says they're types of baptism. Maybe you've never thought of it like that before. This is what scripture says. These are types. They're showing us things about what baptism is like. This washing, this new creation by the water, through the Spirit. And if that's not enough, one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament is found in Ezekiel 36, where the prophet is given the Word of God, looking to the promises of the new creation, of the new covenant, and it says this, I will sprinkle you with clean water. I will keep, shall keep you clean from all your uncleanliness, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone. I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you. New creation by water and the spirit. This is what scripture is telling us. And so we see in baptism, in the new covenant, that God is shouting something. He's telling us something. It's not an empty sign. It's not a, a mere physical thing we do. He's shouting new creation, salvation, redemption, union, new life in Christ. Baptism is shouting. And yet, and yet, this new creation, this redemption, this salvation is not without judgment. Is not without judgment. That God saves his people and he brings them through salvation, but he does it by means of judgment. What do I mean? If we look at our text in Romans chapter 6, very interesting language that Paul uses here. He says that we were in our baptism, we were buried into death. We were buried into death. That's not very new creation language. That's judgment language. It's death. That's curse. And, and we read in Colossians chapter 2, Paul create, you know, is talking about circumcision, the circumcision made without hands, and that the believer is to, that something's been cut off from our flesh. We're to cut off the flesh. That's not very new life language. That's not very new creation language. That's judgment language. Cutting off is a sign of the curse. And so we must first look, before we can experience the glory and the, the beauty of this new creation, we see that God acts through judgment. What do I mean? That these acts of God, even in the Old Testament... These acts of redemption were also acts of God's judgment. And we've already sort of talked about that. What is the flood? It's a judgment. It's a judgment on sinful creation. And yet God brings his people through it. Same thing with the Exodus. 
what was salvation for the people of Israel, those same waters that they were brought through were judgment for Pharaoh and the Egyptians. So what was salvation for one was judgment for the other. But they all went through the judgment. (laughs) They all went through the judgment. That's what we read in our psalm this morning. And so this is a truth that we have to wrestle with this morning. Judgment is coming. The flood is coming. God promised that he would not flood the earth again, but he doesn't promise that he's not going to return again. The Lord will return. That judgment is coming for everyone. And the scriptures are clear that if we're to stand on our own in that judgment, we're lost. We're lost. We're without hope. We are born in Adam. We're under the curse in our sin. That the punishment for breaking God's law is judgment, is curse, is death, is to be cut off. And we know from the scriptures that our sin must be dealt with. God can't sweep our sin under the rug. He can't just forget about it. It has to be dealt with. And so we see these ideas come together in this beautiful picture of baptism that the whole Bible has been leaning towards, that we need someone to bring about a new creation. We need someone to bring about this new birth, this cleansing, this washing. We can't do it. We need someone that can do it for us. We need someone that's going to take the curse that we deserve, that's going to bring salvation, that's going to bring redemption, that's going to be the true offspring from Abraham. We need Christ. We need Christ this morning. He is the one that was promised in the Old Testament that comes and brings us salvation through his judgment, through his death on the cross. This is what we need. There's no other hope for us this morning. We need salvation in Christ alone. And the only reason we have this salvation is because Christ has gone through the judgment. He has done it, not us. He alone has done it. And so we can say, in a sense, that the cross itself is this great act of redemptive judgment. That this is what happens on the cross of Christ. This is what makes it so amazing. How can a holy God, a perfect God, dwell with sinful people? How is God going to remain just and yet dwell with people who are unjust? And the answer is, God is going to redeem his sinful fallen people who deserve curse and judgment through the judgment of the only perfect Son of God. That all these judgments in the Old Testament were pointing to, they were looking forward to what Christ would do on the cross. They were not just random events, but they were pictures and shadows of what God would do. That Christ was judged so that we might not be judged. He was cut off. He was put to death, cursed, as Galatians says, so that we might not be cursed. He was buried and crucified so that we might live. This is what God has done on the cross. And in his resurrection, he shows us the vindication that he never sinned. 
He never failed. He never failed to do God's law. He was perfect. And he has brought about this new creation. And that by faith, you and I are united to him. This is what Paul's talking about in Romans 6. That we've been baptized into Christ, united to him, engrafted into his death, burial, and resurrection. So that Paul can say, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He's a new creation, that this is the work of the Spirit of God in the souls of his people. And so in baptism, all of these themes are crashing in. Covenant, new creation, judgment, cleansing, forgiveness of sins, they all come together in baptism. And again, God is shouting, I've done it all. I've done it all. In our baptism, we're not saying, I've done it. Look how great and look how obedient I am. We're looking to what Christ has done on the cross. So why is this important? Why, why do we, we can talk about theology all day. Why does this matter to me and you here? Nobody's being baptized this morning. Maybe you haven't been baptized in 20 or 30 years. Why does this matter? Why is it important? We can say that baptism is important because it makes the covenant promises of God visible to his people. That this is what God has done throughout scripture. He didn't just give them word promises. He gave them visible signs and symbols of what he would do. That in the new covenant, he says, I will forgive your sins. I will cleanse you. I will wash you. I will unite you to Christ and give you everything that he's won. That it's yours. It's not it's not absent from you, it's, it's yours. And so what we're saying in baptism is not, look what I can do, look how great I am. It's not a sign from us to God, it's a sign from God to us. It's his word to his people. This is what I will do. I will bury you, I will, <laughs> I will put you to death in Christ, and I will raise you again as a new creation. And so what we're saying in baptism is, Behold the promise of God. Behold the promise of God. That all that are united to Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection have been saved. They've been saved from the judgment. The judgment already happened on the cross. There's no judgment left for the people of God. The curse has been removed. You are new creations in Christ. Purified. Cleansed. Forgiven of all your sins. Baptism shows us this. And it's a sign and seal of God's covenant of grace that he has won the benefits and then he's given them to us by his grace. That Christ has done it all. He's earned redemption. He has taken the curse that we deserved. And so what we're saying when we get baptized is I believe that promise. I believe that promise. I believe God has done a work of new creation in my heart. I don't want to sin anymore. I still sin. I still mess up. But I don't want to. That Christ has taken the judgment for me. And even though we might forget that, we need to remember. We need to remember our baptism. We need to remember what God has done. When anytime we're struggling with our sin or we're in a time of sorrow or depression, we can look back and say, I was baptized. <laughs> We can say, this is what God has done. He's promised that for all those 
who, are put, who have put their faith in him as surely as they're washed outwardly with the water by faith, so surely will he wash them by the blood of Christ and his spirit. And so it's not only a means of grace when we receive baptism for the first time, it's a means of grace as we remember our baptism because it points us to Christ. Anything that points us to Christ is how God saves and changes his people. It's how we're strengthened and how we're assured and how we're built up to the point that Peter can say, baptism now saves you. Whoa, Peter. Whoa, Peter. Are you talking about, I thought we were saved by grace alone through faith alone. Peter here is talking to people that have been baptized. And, he's, and it literally says, baptism is now saving you. And he says, not as a removal of dirt from the body. Baptism doesn't forgive your sins. The water of baptism, don't. it's not magical that it can just forgive your sins. But what's he say? But as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Christ. Baptism is now saving you because it's pointing you to Christ. It's causing you to put your faith in his finished work, that he's taken the judgment that you deserved, and he's brought you into new creation life. So as we step back this morning, we can say with confidence that baptism is a means of grace for God's people. And it's something that God's given to his church. That the Great Commission in Matthew 28 is not just a commission for individual Christians, but it's the commission that God has given to his church to make disciples, to baptize them, and to teach them to observe all that he's commanded. This is the the clear teaching of Scripture, and it's the practice of not only the church in the book of Acts, but the normative practice of the church throughout the age. We're not baptized as an individual, if you will. We're not baptized into this isolated church of one. We're baptized into the body of Christ. We're baptized in connection with a local church, into a body of believers, the saints gathered together. We can even call this Baptism is sort of an entrance ordinance. It's, it's a sign showing us that we are in the people of God. It's a visible sign of our union with Christ as the Lord's Supper is a, an ordinance of fellowship, a continued fellowship. And so this is something that the church is to do to baptize believers that have put their faith in Christ and to trust that God will use it to save and change his people. And so... We haven't talked a lot about sort of the hot topic, you know, debate of who should we baptize. And we're not going to get into all that. If you have questions after, you can come talk to me. But, but we are a Baptist church, meaning that we baptize believers. That the subjects of baptism are people who have a credible profession of faith. We're not claiming to have regeneration goggles where we can just see everyone who's saved and who's not saved, okay? You're saved, we know that, we can kind of see into your soul, right? That's not what we're saying. But it's those that have shown signs of God's work in their lives through faith in Him and repentance of their sin. This is what new creation is. This is what Ezekiel promised. This new heart with new affections and the law written on it. So this is where our Presbyterian brothers and sisters come in and they point to circumcision. And they look to circumcision in the Old Testament and they say there's parallels to it in baptism. 
That it's a parallel sign that in the Old Testament, the people of God were circumcised and their children. And baptism is a sign of the new covenant. It's the same substance, it's just different clothes. And baptism needs to be done to not only you, but also your children. And that has a lot of weight. <laughs> it carries a kind of rhetorical punch. And it sounds like, okay, people were circumcised and their children in the Old Testament, Abraham and his seed. Why do we not baptize our children as a sign of being in covenant with God? And if anything, they would look at Colossians chapter 2, which seems to link these ideas of circumcision and baptism. So what is happening here? How, why do we not baptize our children? What I'll say is that there is indeed a deep connection between circumcision and baptism. There is a connection, there is continuity, but it must be seen through the cross. It must be seen through the cross, what Christ has done. That Christ is ultimately the one that was pointed to in circumcision. Christ is the true offspring of Abraham. And that even though there is continuity between circumcision in the old and baptism in the new, a change has taken place. The, the shadows have fallen away. The pictures have fallen away. And it's no longer the people of Abraham's family that received the sign, but the people of Abraham's faith. As Galatians puts it, it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. That Abraham's physical children were in view in circumcision, but that culminated and found its fulfillment in Christ, the one who was cut off for his people. Abraham's spiritual children are in view in baptism. Circumcision looks forward to the cross typologically. Baptism looks back in fulfillment of what Christ has done. So we're not under a covenant of works where there's a fear that we might be cut off. No, for believers, we're in the covenant of grace. There's no cutting off. God will save his people. He will preserve them to the end. Christ has taken the judgment and the curse. He was cut off so that there would be no more judgment left for us. This doesn't mean that we don't care about our children, that we don't teach them to observe all that God has commanded, that we teach them to pray, that we teach them about the faith. We have a children's catechism every other week. But it's not the grounds for baptism. The grounds for baptism is faith. It's faith in Christ and repentance towards God. And the sign of this is circumcision of the heart made without hands. And this promise is for all. It's for you and it's for your children and it's for all of the earth, but it's for those who the Lord our God calls to himself. This is what baptism means. This is why it's important, and this is why it's a means of grace. And so this morning, let us be found in Christ. Let us be found in Christ, remembering our baptism, looking back on what God has done in our lives, and giving us new life, not only in the sense of salvation, but sanctification, that we might walk in newness of life, hating our sin, reminding 
us that that's what put Christ on the cross. And this morning, we have a great hope that Christ has done it all. He's taken the judgment, and we, we look forward to life eternal with him. Let's pray. Lord, we, we come before you this morning, and we, we thank you that salvation is all of grace. That there's nothing that we could do to earn it, to deserve it. There's nothing that we could do. And this morning, Lord, our faith and hope is in Christ. It's in his work on the cross for us. And that as we look back on what you've done in baptism, we remember that we have died that we've been baptized into Christ's death, that his death is our death, his burial is our burial, and his resurrection is an assurance of our resurrection, that we have hope this morning, that even though we struggle with sin, we struggle to put our flesh to death, the old man clings closely, this morning we have a promise, visible promise, that God has, has saved us that he's done this in the work of Christ alone and that by faith we have great hope. And so this morning, Lord, would you, would you convict us? Would you assure us of your grace? Would you strengthen us this morning? And would you lead us by your spirit to the new creation where one day you will come and you will save your people we look forward to that day where you will make all things new. You will wipe away every tear and you will bring about your new creation. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.